Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, October 31st episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Since December of 2018, we have brought to you over 130 poets in 16 countries on five continents, and we hope to continue to do that with your support. And you can support us by going to poetsandmuses.com forward slash donate and donate via either PayPal or your preferred credit cards. With us today is Tate Walker, with whom I will be discussing their poem, I Like Tacos, and my poem, Indulgence. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Tate Walker. Hi, Tate. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So you brought with you your poem, I Like Tacos. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. I always start with my Lakota introduction. Please. It's a nice grounding space for me. Opila Tanka Mitakiapi. Chante washte u hanape chuja pisto, tisho tatewe machiapi, wakpa washte oyake mataha. And that just translates roughly to hello, my friends and relatives. I greet you all with a good heart, and my name is Tate from Shine River. I'm an enrolled citizen of the Shine River Sioux tribe that's in South Dakota, on so mini Konju Lakota. My pronouns are they, them, and ina, uh, colonial pronouns are they them but in Lakota we really don't have that same kind of separation mm-hmm. uh, value if you will that mm-hmm. colonial terms do so mother Ina and, and Lakota is mother so I definitely um, claim those feminine traits from my Lakota roots so um, I'm a two-spirit storyteller I'm an indigenous rights activist I'm living and community building on the homelands of the Atom and Pipas people Mm-hmm. here in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm-hmm. You say you're a storyteller. How did you get into storytelling? Great question. I incorporate quite a few media with the term storytelling. I have, oh, it's weird to say, nearly 20 years of professional journalism experience. Mm-hmm. I started out as a newspaper reporter, mm-hmm. and that was across the Midwest. And uh, that, that, that was... That was the storytelling that paid, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, publishing became kind of uh, precarious in the mid-2000s with the age of mass internet use, mm-hmm. I switched over to freelance storytelling with digital media. And that included everything from podcasts to um, photography, magazine. So I would say my activism storytelling, which I think is different from other kinds of storytelling, uh, started with my work with Everyday Feminism, which is or has been uh, just phenomenal space to both learn and teach, especially when it comes to Indigenous issues that aren't widely recognized. I haven't been writing for them for quite some time, but uh, it was a, it still is a fantastic space. I moved here to the Valley in 2015 to be the editor-in-chief of Native Peoples Magazine, which was based out of the Valley, but it was an international magazine. That was awesome. And then it hit 30 years 
and uh, the the private um, board of directors decided to end it, um, and we couldn't get any public funding. Like the fundraising tools that are available now just hadn't established themselves yet, so mm-hmm. we went dark there. But um, it led to where I'm at now, which is working for a local uh, tribal community and education system, here and communications director, and that's been a phenomenal shift in how I'm able to both um, participate with indigenous communities, especially um, community building with youth at the forefront, but also put my family in a place, and by family I mean relatives across multiple states and places, put my family in a, in a place where um, you know, we feel like we can share more of ourselves than, say, be more in survival mode. So that's different, and it's pretty awesome. So storytelling has led me both to a lot of places, literally, but also um, uh, great places figuratively as well. So storytelling has been always been part of my life, but um, I, I think has really um, been is now part of other people's life these last 20 years. Right. Do you see um, poetry writing as a portion of your star- storytelling? Yeah, it's it's sort of been a natural evolution of, of the storytelling that I do. Like the storytelling I've done in the past informs this poetry that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And, and while I've always written poetry, you know, as a kid, I, I had a journal and it was always with me and I put words in it and loved it and didn't share it with anybody and <laughs> kind of had it there. I loved uh, rhyme schemes, big into Shakespeare, did all the classes in high school, and um, but but it was always a very internal craft for me, if you will. So my first foray in daring poetry was with Jacqueline Russell, who's a Dene phenomenal human. I just love her. She's living uh, now in um, the Pueblo lands over in New Mexico um, with her partner and their Oh, amazing two kids, but she was in the valley and asked me to read. It's called Asna Resistance, so they spelled resistance like resistance, so super cool. Um, but it was awesome, and it was uh, meant to celebrate um, queer indigenous folks at the center, and then um, everyone else sort of could come in and party with us. And it was awesome, and that was the first time I'd ever read in front of a crowd, and it was mm-hmm. well received to the point where then it led to other people asking. Uh, me to continue reading and uh, that, that just sort of snowballed and I, I love it it's a totally different pace it's not even comparable in terms of you know you talk about like the different elements of storytelling but uh, you know photography is its own thing journalism writing is its own thing uh, poetry is for sure its own thing but poetry has been I think more medicine than any of my other outlets for storytelling yeah. so that's, that's that's I'm very grateful for the opportunities that poetry has given Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's to me as well. I feel like it's very therapeutic. Um, I know I know different people do poetry for different reasons, but certainly I am very grateful for this art on my journey of healing. Because I find that when I've seen you read, you tend to incorporate a lot of humor in your writing. I, I mean, I've I've seen from the pieces that you sent me that they range quite a bit. So I was wondering, since in the public sphere where I've seen you read again, that I've seen more of the humor, I was wondering how you decide between emphasizing the humorous aspects and uh, the other more, you know, the human rights aspects of your writing. 
Yeah, it's interesting that that would be the perception, but it's also the perception I intentionally put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, poetry readings are first and foremost, I think, performance. Um, I don't go out there to have there be. <laughs> I I pay someone for that at other times, um, and it's just me and them. Um, when I'm in front of a crowd, that's that's always um, performance, and performance has an air of. Um, like there's vulnerability, but it's also like I'm intentional about what I'm what I choose to share. And as somebody who's been a storyteller for a long time, humor tends to connect us more than say my triggering poems. And I have lots of those for sure. Um, and uh, in fact, I, I, re- I think poem that you mentioned before that that I sent you, I like tacos, is one of my only humorous poems of I think I'm up to like 40 um, for this chapbook. Um, which is pretty much a book at this point. But um, so one of 40, I don't know that that's, um, oh, wow. I would say humor is a big piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I choose, and well, there's, there's two sides to that too. I, I choose to present that poem in particular because it, it resonates, I think, with the audiences that tend to join us at the readings I do. So um, indigenous folks, right? I don't know that it would resonate with non-Indigenous people as much. Um, but, I mean, it does. I mean, people have responded in, in multiple ways. But especially Indigenous audiences love the I like Tacos. They just can't get enough of it. So I, they ask me to read it as well. So, And beyond that, too, this last year of readings, the readings I've done tend to lean heavily into deep, deep um, subject matters, as it should. It's valid and, and those those readings are so powerful and uh, inspiring. And um, as you mentioned before, I'm just so grateful to be part of those. But I also, you know, as somebody who has been part of poetry audiences, I know what it feels like to have something super heavy put on me and then have something a little lighter to sort of lift it off or help lift it off. doesn't mean that the heaviness goes away or that it wasn't warranted or valid. It just offers another emotion <clears throat> and also shows too that poetry doesn't have to just always be this gloom and doom right. which again I write plenty of <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it is important that um, humor and I think for a lot of cultures but indigenous folks is what I can talk about because that's, that's my culture you know humor is, is a survival tool and in a year like COVID uh, plus you know year plus like COVID um, humor has been instrumental in sort of just the day-to-day process of, of being so I, I definitely um when people ask me to read it I'll, I'll definitely uh, go all out for it and um it's a poem that um was written for the stage too there's uh, I, I've presented it over the last year via zoom and, and video but it's um it's meant for to be a full body experience if you will yeah. uh which which I think plays more into what it what the what it is so yeah, it really does. It's definitely a very earthy, earthy poem. And I, I think that this is a, a good segue into uh, having you read that, and then we can talk about it. All right. So excited. Hey, me too. I love that poem. Get it up here. All right, you ready? Yep. You okay. make me hungry. All right, yep, yep. Get ready, folks. Trigger warning, you need your napkins. Uh, <laughs> all right. This is called I Like Tacos. Subtitle, it's only as dirty as you make it. I want 
you. An ache deep in my core drives me to collect the pieces of you scattered around like raw promises, waiting for me to feast. I lick my lips, salivating at the thought of your splintered fragments coming together and reforming into something beyond both of us. It makes me come undone. I work my fingers through a mound of your sticky recipe, kneading every part of you, letting you rise just high enough. <laughs> you like it rough. A slap here, a pull there, tugging, pressing, stroking the fire and stretching your limits until gently, so gently, I lay you flat, not to rest, but to burn. You writhe for me. Sizzling with expectation, I wait, impatient and hungry for you. It is ecstasy to watch your hills and valleys slick and glistening and drowning in the pop song of anointed bluebirds. Hmm, but we're not finished. Just as you're about to combust, I flip you and start the mad process over. Your body undulates for me and suddenly your hot, brown perfection is ready and so is my tongue. Sometimes we play around with honey when you're feeling soft, sweet, and warm, and sometimes we get wild like rice. But tonight, there's only meat. Let us experiment on your kamad bod with dairy-free cheese that melts in my mouth and in my hand. Round in all the right places, your lovely lumps taste so good, and I moan your name, thanking the ancestors for the gift that will forever sit upon my soul and thighs, you are my deliciously undeniable bribery. Hey, thank you. <laughs> when did you write this poem? Ha, I wrote it in the car on the way to a reading last January. It was a reading with Tennille Campbell. Mm. She's a First Nations poet out of Canada. She actually just came out with a a new poetry book, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but go check it out. Tennille is T-E-N-I-L-L-E, and then Campbell, like soup. And she uh, came to Phoenix. Um, we read at K uh, Info Shop, K Info Shop, and her poems that at least have um, gone viral tend to be in the triple uh, X variety, um, <laughs> very sexy, sexy stuff, and. Uh, Knowing that I was going to read with her, I was like, oh, do I read the one about being a high school kid with emotions or do I read the one? Anyway, so I um, got a little, uh, I was like, what What do I love in life? <laughs> anyway, and so uh, Indian tacos came to mind. So I kind of played with that a little bit. And um, I don't know if we're able to, like, on your website, post the, the, the poem itself. But one thing I'm super proud of that never can get translated, like, on stage is the... Um, the puns and plays on words like let us experiment let us yeah. let us like like the <laughs> anyway uh so i always kind of have fun in my head with that like he he they don't know <laughs> so uh yeah yeah so it's a year old yeah okay okay i've listened to this poem like i think three times now and i really just enjoy it partly because it's so you know it is so vivid the first time i performed it and that was at that uh Okay, uh, info shop uh, reading. There were um, several elderly women in the audience, <laughs> native women, um, like friends, moms, and grandmas and stuff. And I kept like winking at them when I would say stuff like, 
ooh, you like it rough, the slap here, and I like tugged on their braid or whatever, and they would just squeal. I don't know if you ever have like little grandmas like laughing at sexy jokes. Like it's, it was kind of a fun thing to be part of, just like seeing how people responded to it. Like just the chuckles and the like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and of course a play on queerness too, right? So mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's gets a win from all angles. Yeah, it just is so wonderful because, you know, no matter what, you can't really tell. You can't really tell because it go it can go either way. And and I love the play with um, people's imagination. And, right, exactly. And I feel like uh, it really depends on the culture because I feel like for the most part when, um, at least when I've read in different settings within the U.S., with a younger audience, you know, reading sexy poems, especially with, you know, much more safe environments, reading sex, uh. sexy poems is not a big deal. But I think with an older audience, um, maybe is consciousness on my part as well. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. I still get a little, like, <laughs> chuckle in my head before I do it. That's, I'm like, it's only as dirty as you want it to be. And I'm like, and I want it to be dirty. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it is funny because, like, you know, I'll just kind of go back and ask like the college student, well, what'd you take out of that poem? Or what was your favorite part? And they're like, Oh, when you said anointed bluebirds, I was like, that's going to be fun to try with my boyfriend later. And I was like, Oh dang, you really took it somewhere. And then someone else was like, I thought it was just about eating Indian tacos. Like, uh, I, I don't know why I never thought of writing a love poem to Indian tacos. I'm like, yeah, totally. And then it's like, you know, the, the, that, uh, kind of the handkerchief in your back pocket kind of poem too, where the, queers kind of wink at you and like tacos <laughs> okay you know and like you know and it becomes this like something different to tell to different people like you said and it's it's that again where poetry really shines is this place that you know poetry is internal not just for the writer but for the audience too and, mm. and it should be right like I don't want to ever like police what people take away from my poem um right. you know yeah. hopefully people talk about it and like it for different reasons and it, you know stays with them somehow and that's where the medicine comes to play right like medicine hits people different and does different things for different folks i mean sage is both the cleanser and the healer and food and you know like it's that i I just love where poetry can take people yeah yeah and i think the tacos metaphor is pretty much it's become much more mainstream at least i keep hearing it now maybe i'm just in a lot of queer spaces, I don't. I don't know. I keep. I keep hearing. You're it. just cool, so yeah. <laughs> just leave it there. I think I just invade a lot of people's spaces. Right. No. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, I think hearing it for the first time, and then hearing now for the third time, I'm still discovering things, and especially reading it, as you say. You know, there there are things sonically that. The audience might think you wrote it something else, but then when you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, these are taco ingredients. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So f- fry bread, as Jeff Slim told me, and I think you know Jeff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the listeners who don't know, he's a wonderfully talented, celebrated local Phoenix artist, muralist. Mm. Uh, I was going to Palabras uh, to their POC open mic every month, uh, which fortunately they have restarted again virtually. Um, and 
there's, I think it's Marco, I'm terrible with names. He had his food stand and I love the blue corn, corn mush and the fry bread tacos. So I was asking Jeff Slim if fry bread was really an indigenous food. And he was like, nah, not really. It's just like government commodities that they forced on the people. So I, I was wondering like what your take on that is because it has become synonymous with indigenous food now. I mean, yeah, we own that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's ours. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, fry bread survival food. I mean, like potatoes to the Irish, which shout out to the Irish. I'm, that's, that's, I see another side of me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, might've been other places, but like we made it our own and, and out of necessity, but it, it kept families alive. And while it might also have uh, negative connotations with diabetes and things like that um you know everything in moderation i guess i'm, I'm i tend not to ever want to shame my people for things that uh, kept us alive all these years so oh god um you know like i and, and i get it like the, there's there's a big health movement to like you know go back to indigenous indigenous food like right? the beans and squash and corn and totally all about that do it but like man fiber still brings us together and it's um you know in, in my own household like we don't think maybe twice a year when I'll get up the gumption to mix water and flour together right like it's so easy it's not my go-to meal either but it's great to have and when other people make it it's even better so uh, yes. uh it's it's a gathering food it's um although all the places really that I have it tend to represent like family and relatives to me because that's really the only time I ever have it is gathering it's kind of like cake for most people right like oh there's a cake so there must be something cool happening like but that that's 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 what that is for me it's a, a celebration of food. Okay. um yeah so um you know other people might have different opinions and that's totally fine but um and i will say that the fry bread is not my version of american pie um it, <laughs> so don't get you know weird thoughts there it's just the that metaphor i was searching for so right. um yeah yeah and i think you have to deal with multi-generational genocides and both physical and, and cultural genocide. You have to hold on to what's, um, you know, you, you can celebrate, right? And recently they did um, a visit, a virtual visit to the Phoenix Indian School um, where they were talking about a similar thing of making something that was forced on the indigenous population into something of their own and into something uh, a place of real education rather than just a destruction a destructor of culture and that reclaiming element yeah 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 i think there's some power in there for sure yeah yeah definitely and i have to tell you i basically as with blue corn mush, I basically fell in love the first time that I have red bread because it reminds me of something that I have in my culture as well. And I was like, oh my God, this is just like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, panic and popovers uh, and uh, oven bread. Like, I mean, there's these really great ways people across the world have just learned to adapt um, mm. with the least amount of resources. And I think that's just pretty phenomenal and, and uh, definitely agree that there's, you know, um, uh, balanced diets are where you want to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love what fry bread, um, you know, can, can do or can say.
say about um, a gathering. And um, but you know, the same way, so can venison and walleye and all those other kinds of uh, fantastic indigenous foods that um, you know have always been here on these lands. And all about that reclamation process too. And it's it's so important. And um, but I think there's room for for all of it. So yeah, yeah, I think so as well. And um, especially given the decades that it's been around, it's become part of the culture and the culture is not stagnant, right? So. Oh, right, exactly. I, I want to know if you had any particular person in mind when you wrote this? Uh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Gosh, it sounds so egotistical. I definitely had myself in there um, mm-hmm. a lot, uh, not just as the reader, but like, as someone who enjoys some of the elements involved in the, in the poem. Um, but uh, I wish I could name someone. I think there's, um, I'm looking through it to be like, oh, well, so Anointed Bluebirds is a shout out to, of course, um, the, the Diné version of Indian tacos, which still called Navajo tacos, but it's just Indian taco. Okay, chill out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the former flame who um, inspired that piece. Um, in college, they showed me how they um, prepare the dough, and uh, it, there's a lot of flipping involved. It kind of comes out almost like a pizza, like it's just huge, right? Mm-hmm. And up north, we make fry bread. There's a lot of pulling and tugging, and it's definitely more like a little fluffier and meant for like soup and stew, so it's smaller. And when I mm-hmm. made the fry bread in college, my, my the partner at the time uh, was like just appalled and they're like you're never gonna feed anybody like what no it's thick like me no but you know it's like there's, there's a lot of heft to it you know just let it, let it go and then they made their version and it you know just there was this it was almost like a dance just a lot of flopping around and and i'm talking about fry bread folks anyway um but there was a lot of uh you know flopping and like just these pan-sized pieces of bread that came out just beautiful and like you know no issues on them whatsoever, like, very few blemishes. Mine came out with, like, burns here and there, like, but it was fine, it was edible. Anyway, it just was a, a funny, like, comparison of, like, <laughs> it's an art form for some of us, and for mm-hmm. others, it's definitely just in the food category, so. And I think that's also true of other activities people engage in with each other. Sometimes it's an art form, and everyone enjoys it, and sometimes it's just, like, wham, bam, get it done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think I really appreciate. Sorry, I said I'm just sticking with the metaphors here. (laughs) We should. It's great. It's great to talk about both sides of this metaphor. I love the fact that you just gave us a little glimpse into how different nations, different peoples, will make a similar item, which I think for people who have traveled within these United States will recognize anywhere you go, you cross the state line, or even if you go to different cities, you will see similar things made differently, like burgers, pizza, and, you know, things like that. Um, Potato chips, even. Well, just taco tacos. Like when you say taco versus when I say it, or when someone from California says it, or, you know, just, oh, you mean those kind, like, yeah, yeah. Or when you're at a gay bar, like, there's a lot of different kind that comes up, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it's really great to that you taught us this, because until now, I didn't realize you were talking about 
two different ways of making it as well. That's also in your poem, which is yes. another layer to it. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And since you wrote it specifically in a reading with someone who tends to to write a lot of X-rated material, did you intend to for it, even though even though you know we're not policing how anybody will walk away with the meaning of your poem, what was your intention? Did it for you fall on one side heavier than the other side? Well, because a lot of the language, like if you're just reading it straight, no pun intended, like it definitely is just brings food to mind. I think, um, and when I read it to like my partner and my kid, right, like I didn't invoke any like winks or um, the body language that I would eventually use. Like I just sort of read it right. as it as it was written, and um, they were both under the assumption that I was just talking about food. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and so that was also like a like okay, well, that's kind of how I wanted it to be because like, I I also love um, I love reading poetry, but I love um, like slam poetry and performance poetry and just like the different elements that are part of both. <laughs> um, and so I definitely wanted it to be like okay, you got to experience this poem too of like the winks and the tugs and you know the, the laughs of you know <laughs> um, that come through and. Uh, you know, so when my partner was able to experience the full show, like, they're like, oh, tacos, <laughs> <laughs> like, definitely an awakening. <laughs> um, you know, when my kid's sixth grade, and, and she totally got it after that, like, oh, you're, you're talking about lesbian sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, between women, it doesn't have to be with, you know, those parts down there, it doesn't have to be lesbian. But, you know, so, like, she, uh, she definitely got it. So... I definitely was intentional uh, with the performance part. Mm. I would say I wanted the words to come across with a little bit more sexual undertone just to get to that humor piece that I was really trying to dig through. But, um, mm. but you know, I never, like I said, uh, people read it as, as very much about food, and that's, that's totally fine because it definitely is a love poem to fry bed as well. So. Yes, and there should be more more poems dedicated to foods that we love and right. are fully done. I mean, this Thank is you. like really just beautifully done. Um, For my next act, we have, uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, pita bread. No, I'm <laughs> yeah. Choke cherries. I'm a choke cherry. I, I think you should do like a one woman, uh, you know, one person, five That's course. That's a good idea. No, I, yes. I'm feeling that. I'm just getting all kinds of inspired now. I'm like, what else do I really like? <laughs> I'm tea and coffee for an hour. <laughs> yeah, do a five-course meal as a performance. I think that would be awesome. Go. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> exactly. Well, let me do your marketing for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it is to that sort of that double entendre that's in your poem that I send you my poem whose name I also forget and it's called indulgence yes yes thank you so I'm, I'm gonna read it and then we can talk about it great indulgence you are the chocolate bar I shouldn't eat the potato chips that oil with grease the prime rib marbling arteries and marshmallows 
falls fluffiness. This arrays the eager tongue with its sharp edge of hyped saccharin, confuses the pate in anarchist blitz, hiding steep costs behind the glitzy pitch. Yet thirsting tentacles slither their greed, writhe to evade discipline's lattice frames, extend beyond the somatic reach to force entrance through virtue's gates. So it's very nice. Thank you. It's definitely not a funny poem, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of I feel a lot of guilt in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, <laughs> I keep crushing on people I should not be crushing on, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the best thing to do is to equate them to food. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and also this this is um, I mean I, I've been eating plenty of chocolate bar, thank goodness for that. Um, but these are foods that some of which I have not been able to access because of the shutdown. Um, and so it is definitely a little bit about cravings as well. I feel also, um, and and it's and it's definitely like my. Like, I'm coming at it with my experience with food mm. and just, like, as a larger person, I mean, I'm 300 plus pounds and six feet tall, so, like, I've lived my life as a big person. Mm. <laughs> like, and food is always, like, weaponized against people like me, um, mm. but also, like, you know, that guilt that's there, um, that's that's put on us, um, like, for not choosing a different way. Like, the shouldn't of your poem, like, the first line, but that really was, like... <laughs> Like, oh, great, another, like, diet poem. <laughs> um, uh, you know, like, the restriction. You know, you call it indulgence, but all I see is stuff you can't have and no necessarily reason why. So, like, you know, I came at it from, like, you mentioned about my poem, like, almost like a literal place of food, but then to have it explained as, like, the people that you're equating with it, like, makes it definitely like, oh, yeah, I see that, like, we, we put it on ourselves to stay away from people we think we can't have to. Um, but I would also encourage folks listening that why not? <laughs> um, you know, the, the, we're, I was raised in a very cis heteronormative household, very Catholic. Um, you know, this is our time of year to shine only fish on Fridays kind of thing. And, um, uh, man, the, the con the conversations about food and sex, right? Like, were very much sinful, right? Like, it was all a sin. And, uh, man, that really does something to you when, A, you love food and are uh, heavy your entire life and also uh, queer and don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, those are two places. Uh, it, like, my body is just so um, politicized by the expectations of other people. So, yeah, I, when you sent it to me, that was definitely like a want to say so far as trigger but it definitely like brought up a lot of like memories and just feelings about food in general of the can't shouldn't and don't and like geez you can decide what to put in your mouth i sure as hell can it's gonna be fried bread too damn it <laughs> you know and it's like yeah and I, you know and but i i don't just eat fried bread obviously like i love all food but um i i really the last well since becoming a mother uh you know my kids gonna be 13 this year like it's okay. been a very intentional purposeful 
process to really put food where food belongs, which is in our bellies, <laughs> um, you know, and something to cultivate, have a relationship with versus, you know, tear ourselves apart over because we had that one extra fry or put too much ranch on something or didn't eat enough of A or B or eat too much of it, you know, C or D. Like, <laughs> it shouldn't be too much math, folks. It's just food. Anyway, so that, that's where I'm at. But I also really love, like, your great word plays there, too. Thank you. Saccharin. Oh, going places with food I haven't been. <laughs> Anarchist blitz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there are the foods we love, right? That society may tell us we should not be eating. Some of it is for health reasons, because if we were to eat certain foods too much, again, it's like what you said before about balance. We need to understand how our bodies react to different foods and also how to balance our diet so that it's even if we were to eat so-called bad foods, it is still part of a balanced diet. Uh, and so that it doesn't have yeah. to be, oh, you can't eat this because, oh, especially the policing of female bodies, right? Or female identifying uh -huh. bodies. And there is that similarity to uh, crossover with people that we should not, uh, or we are told we should not. In, the, in my case, I really should not because I know the person would not be good for me. So like, uh -huh. it's, it's just a bad match. And when I talk about those foods, especially are the ones where as we get older and as our body become less able to digest certain things that for health reasons, we have to be more mindful of, you know, the amount of those things that we can put into our bodies, especially during this year um, where we are so sedentary, we're forced to be so sedentary. So yeah, mostly I was just thinking about the person. <laughs> You are the milk that keeps me on the toilet for 30 minutes. <laughs> That's what I need to write my phone about. <laughs> Dairy products in old age for me have not mixed well. That, that's sad. Because I was raised on the idea that I needed to have however many cups of milk a day. It was almost better than water. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. So I really like, took that with me into adulthood. Like, milk, 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 milk. Like, cow milk, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea what almond milk or soy milk or any of that stuff was. So, um, yeah, and now, like, with that, like, I've stopped drinking it, like, for a couple of years now, and, like, my whole life has changed. But I still love cheese. I can't get rid of cheese. But that's definitely, like, a risk that I know I have to take. Like, I'm like, all right, guys, like, I'm not going to eat this right before bed. I'm not going to eat this, like, before we go somewhere, like a movie, because I've been burned full times. Like, you just can't have that. So, like, I need to do it where I have, like, two hours post-meal just to, like, lay around and be miserable, and then I'm fine. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned also recently that with age, um, lactose intolerance gets worse, because I didn't yep, used to be. I read that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't used to be this bad, or also I didn't pay attention to it. I think for the longest time I wasn't paying attention to how my body react reacted to certain things. Uh -huh. And then as I... You know, as I'm getting older, I'm basically just 
like, supposed to be young again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, well, and it's interesting because, um, as, as a whole, like, I think if you were to survey lots of, uh, folks who are indigenous, I think lactose intolerance is, is, a, is a big one. Like, Oh no, I uh, can't drink milk or eat or whatever it is. And, um, yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, and I have no idea what the science behind it is. I just know that if you were to survey my family and you know, my partner's family and like just us, right? Like without dairy in our lives, we're a whole lot happier. And I'm just like, man, there was a bunch of us little kiddos running around just like totally unhappy with our tummies. And it was because of all that milk they were shoving down our throats. <laughs> like the wick office and like all the commods, like everything had dairy, dairy, dairy. So, but it's all political, right? Political. Anyway. It is. It's so love. What? Yeah. Also, you know, with with time, right, um, with science discoveries and scientific studies, what was deemed healthy then, people have a better understanding of. And, and right. Well, it's not even about health half the time. Uh, you know, when you look into some of the stuff like the dairy industry or just agriculture in general, it's so political. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> who was able to give money to who? And it's like, yeah, yeah, just sell this milk. Like, why are we drinking cow's milk? Yeah. And like... Uh, you know, I love the idea of like science discovery, but like indigenous folks really didn't do a whole lot of milk other than breast milk. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, we're that, that wasn't part of our natural diet, so um, yeah, it's just interesting to think of. Uh, but I love goat's milk, and I, I need to like weed myself off of uh, almond milk now. I hear that's terrible for the environment, so yeah, find something else. I don't do a lot of milk in general anymore, but um. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I like this idea of, uh, like, this food that really isn't great for me, but it's fun to have, at the, you know, going in, <laughs> but but the fallout is terrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm also a fan of cheese, so it's, it yeah. does, and it has, um, like, I, I especially like soft cheeses, so it has a psychotropic effect. Do you have, like, get weird dreams after you eat a bunch of soft cheeses? Oh, I'll have to track that. No, I don't know. Not that I've noticed, but, like, that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> I, I just know, like, I don't know. I like the fufu stuff, too. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, it's over now, almost 10 years. But, um, like, I have friends that do, like, the cheese and, and wine parties or whatever. And I mm. kind of love that, that fufu-ness of, like, oh, I here's this, you know, it's a little smelly on the outside. And I'm like, oh, yeah, show me. And I have those little knives that it's just fine. But it's just, it's also super tasty. I just really love cheese. Like, like it so. is. It is so tasty. It's just, as you said, <sighs> you know. Hungry, but not really am. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you just have to, you know, like, you know how your body's going to react to it. You just have to, like, oh yeah, give yourself the time to do that and pay the price in your two life. hours post meal that's it <laughs> got me <laughs> that's yeah. funny yeah which is why this time zone that we or that we chose to do this is perfect seven o'clock all right a couple <laughs> hours so we really be ready for it good good um i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned being inspired by uh folks in particular you can't have but like what was your relationship with say food growing up and how i mean you mentioned age has gotten you into more of like whatever, you know, quote-unquote health mindset, but, like, do you recognize patterns that you had as a child versus now or things that are just total BS that you've discovered that you're like, man, what were they trying to tell us? I think in general, 
uh, definitely my my mom has always been like uh, she's always been on a diet and she's kind of instilled in me this idea that you know you you're a woman you have to be this size or actually it was never said a certain size but you know to her I was fat and I'm just like what I, right. I it's a it's a form of control as well for her um, but like in terms of the kinds of food that I eat I don't snack that's just me in general uh-huh. unless I'm hungry I, if I'm hungry and I don't have a proper meal, then I want to snack. And that's something that I realized just by observing my own behavior. And I also noticed that in my mom as well. And I was trying to tell her that because she's always on a diet. And I was like, why don't you just eat a proper meal and then you won't want a snack? Like, try right. it. But she's one of those very, very stub- stubborn people. So she's like, no. I won't do it. I was like, okay, whatever. I like being miserable. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I know, it's interesting because, um, yeah, I had I grew up with a, a stepmother who was very concerned about how other people saw her and what was expected, things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of that's her, a lot of that, a lot more, most of it is, is just society, right, what we expect, especially for, for women of color and um, that, that uh, almost extra expectation there. And, uh, yeah, she did everything from, you know, there was a time we had to all do lima beans and that was, I hate lima beans to this day. Like, uh, you know, everything was diet Coke, diet Coke. And I really can't stand diet Coke now. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, but I mean, but these are things that were also like the tried and true, like, Oh no, like drink diet Coke. Like it's better than water. But you know, like (laughs) silly things. And what's interesting is my father was from, uh, from Brooklyn, New York. He's the Irish side of me, um, but he uh, he was a registered dietitian. He out of out of Vietnam, he used his GI Bill to get his master's in public health, and that's how he got to my mom's reservation. Okay, and um, he's been working for WIC now for a long time, but um, the Women, Infants, Children program, um, mm. but also did tons of I mean decades worth of just dietary work on on like a mostly Indian country, um, the uh, South Dakota, uh, Colorado, uh, Great Plains areas. Um, mm. But uh, so, like, it was interesting to have both of those sides in my family because, like, they never meshed well. Like, uh, like performance-wise, like, my dad was very, like, oh, five square meals a day and vegetables and servings, whatever. Like, we had all the science. But, like, at home it was, like, all right, eat the lima beans and everyone's going to binge and we're just not going to discuss it. <laughs> like. You know, as a family, we'll eat these lemon beans, but then later we'll all just, like, have stuff stuffed under our beds and just pretend like we don't eat junk food and whatever. Oh. And, and like, I, I tell my kid now, I'm like, because, you know, you read the the health papers or whatever, and uh, they're like, it's better to let them snack, especially if it's healthy snacks, like, several meals a day versus the three square that we were all sort of growing up with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, and, and also, you know, please don't. Uh, guilt trip them because you know kids in other countries are starving like that that got me I was devastated by my eating habits and how it could impact kids I'll never ever meet um my dad definitely threw that on me and um like so I ate and ate and ate and ate plus mad that's poverty like you ate as fast as you could and as much as you could and it didn't matter what it was and then Mm -hmm. now like 
we are thankfully, you know, in a privileged state to have access to foods and access to different, you know, especially vegetables and mm-hmm. fruits. And my kid is just like, I don't, I couldn't even tell you half the fruits that she consumes and the vegetables she consumes. I didn't know what those were until college. Like mangoes, like that wasn't even in my sphere of reference until college. Uh, mm-hmm. Avocado, like what the heck was that? Like never saw one in my life until I was an adult, like past college. And, you know, and so it's interesting, you know, just how much has changed because um, I don't think she's ever been guilted into finishing a plate. Um, really, really try not to, never say diet like never say like oh I should watch what I eat like if I'm full I'm full I want to stop if I'm you know if I want a chocolate bar I'll have a chocolate bar but I'll also be really conscious about having vegetables like a lot of them or whatever and so we do a really good job of just trying to be better relationship with food and like growing our own stuff and uh you know this I, I just love the generation she's from because I mean she talks about food in ways that like I I just can't even wrap my head around sometimes like oh mm. this is energy and this is um this is going to help me study and da, da, da. I'm like what <laughs> you know <laughs> like yes you're right I need to have avocado for my brain too like anyway it's just I I, I, I like this generation of like open info we just didn't have that when I was growing up and uh it like lost out on a lot of stuff but trying to make it better but I still really crave taco john's from um South Dakota that was our like res fast food it was just mm. really crappy literally crappy like you would just call it gajo john's gajo sort of like slang for <laughs> the shits essentially um oh, wow. anyway so we, talk, <laughs> we we uh we love that place though uh and uh i still love it i like crave that of anything else i've ever eaten in my life it's taco john's we don't have any here in the valley like that it doesn't exist it's probably a good thing but every time i go home i'm just like can we go to Taco John's? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, of all things. I'm like, well, I'll eat the buffalo steak later and I'll have the really yummy tamshilla, you know, potatoes that you harvested by hand, blah, 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 blah. Like, but I also just really want Taco John's. <laughs> you know, so. that's the thing about uh, living in Arizona, at least in the Phoenix area. I find that there is a very limited um, variety of meats available i find that lamb is somehow exotic and i'm like oh, why yeah. duck i tried making pemmican with duck and that was like searching for a needle in a haystack i had to have it ordered from uh uh like a, a specialty grocer and it was freaking like 30 dollars for a little breast of duck oh wow it's like oh my gosh this is gonna be this is gonna be the best duck ever and it was really good but it was also like what never gonna do that again yeah yeah I wonder if you can raise your own ducks in Phoenix. It is too hot. Sometimes it's really hard just walking in these little man-made lakes and there's just ducks, ducks, ducks everywhere. And I'm like, you know, some parts of the country, this would be a great like buffet zone. (laughs) But not in Phoenix. Just FYI, anyone listening, I have not crossed that line. We (laughs) named the ducks on our walks. (laughs) Yeah, it's... um... But access to food, right? Like, you talked about accessing food, like, and what we have here in the valley urban wise like you know there's a huge movement if you will of, of just like reclaiming indigenous food sources we kind of tapped into it a little bit with the fried bread but like having access to things like the fish that's part of my homelands or the wild rice from my partner's homelands or mm-hmm. like berries like that stuff's not here and i i have um thankfully been privileged to um like attend some saguaro fruit 
harvesting or prickly pear, uh, choya buds, like um, the pima squash and beans, you know, some of those things. But like, I don't have a farm, you know, I can do some urban gardening maybe, but like there's some limitations I have with time that uh, don't make it as easy for me to access. But even like this year, I'm hearing, you know, with like climate change, that access to those kinds of things is way down. I mean, the saguaro mm-hmm. fruit hasn't been out yet because we just haven't had rain. And like those rains that usually come with the monsoons would fuel the, the blooming fruits right now. And there's nothing like, uh, it's interesting to talk about like, yeah, it's a, it's a great idea to have all this like balance of foods and indigenous foods in particular. Um, and I want to encourage anybody who has access to, to definitely utilize it and share that knowledge, but it's not possible for a lot of people. And so uh, don't food shame. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, I mean, that's why a lot of people in uh, social movements are trying to bring uh, community gardens, right? And, and um, helping to bridge those food deserts a bit. Yes. And, and urban farming and such. At the same time, I, I remember there was an event at Palabras again where um, they were talking about how the pollution from some uh, chemical plants actually was seeping into the groundwater to the extent that um, a family that had done their own gardening was still poisoned by the... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Navajo Nation's huge for that. I, when I was working at Native Peoples, we were doing a big series on just the nuclear waste dumps yeah. and how that significantly impacted, of course, food and water sources, but the art world, too. Like, I can no longer dig for the clay that I need for my pottery, like, without totally messing up my hands. Like, I have oh, wow. wounds and sores and festers from radioactive dirt <laughs> like wow. what yeah but also like here in the valley too it's like yeah i could grow stuff but i also have to use a ton of water to do it and yeah. it's just i don't know there seems that balance is impossible in some spots in some ways and i'd like it to be but um yeah i don't know it's tricky all the way around it is it is uranium right i think is uranium mining for the indigenous the res I think. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, big deal over there. Yeah, yeah. Downtown, there's a near central, uh, Mc, not McDowell, one of the president's names, I can't remember. Um, there's a company that must be a mining company because in their receptionist area, the ground level, you can see uh, pictures of big mining pits. Yeah, and and you know copper is a huge thing in the yep same old flat yeah yeah whenever I see metal statues in the oh, metro yeah. area I'm like this is a right. health hazard you could get burned on those I'm like will get burned geez even just today it hit ninety and got in the car and I was like forgot about it or something I was like ah like my seatbelt tried to kill me but oh yeah God. those big statues downtown are just waiting for a lawsuit I'm sure like rub up against one and just I'll be thinking about that statue for a couple days oh my god yeah I don't I don't understand I don't understand and there are metal bus stops I'm like what what kind yeah, of yeah and some without the shade structures Ugh, oh yeah it's I... such a weird the valley is so interesting and I like I said I work for a local 
uh, tribal community and we're right by Scottsdale where there's golf courses upon golf courses that are just freshly green. Like, just kills me. Like, every time I look at it, I'm just devastated by just the waste. Ugh. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, Scottsdale is quite known for, well known for the golf courses, right? The, yes. Besides yeah. the wealth and whatever, just like, it's ridiculous. Thinking about food in general, because I know, I know it really wasn't about food, but I'm taking it there. Um, if you were going to write a poem to who you love, <laughs> how, or, or even talk about something you love and relate to food, what kind of food would you use? Because we, we know chocolate and chips and prime ribs and marshmallows would be part of it. But what, what would be part of something you love and should be by? Actually, I, I would, I would, I love chocolate and prime rib. I just, <laughs> it, like, this year, I just can't, you know, can't access, access it. Well, chocolate I've been accessing on a regular. I'm I'm very happy with my chocolate stash. I have. What's your favorite kind of chocolate? Oh, um, I I actually prefer the darker ones, but I like nuts with it. And so, unfortunately, the combination I want is not available in a dark chocolate. So I'm just like, fine, I'll have milk chocolate. Those. Um the high school fundraisers where they're like here buy a chocolate bar for a dollar like and i worked for a school system so i was always i was doing it for the kids okay i would buy a ton (laughs) of those but my favorites were always the dark chocolate almond and it Mm. tastes so great with coffee or tea in the morning because i don't do both of my i take both of those black so Mm. like when you can add dark chocolate just in general but i love the dark chocolate with almonds for sure i check really on that definitely connect there with you yeah, yeah, and and I've met some people online through Zoom who told me about these sustainable chocolate bars because, unfortunately, chocolate uh, harvesting also involves a lot of forced yeah. child labor and those wonderful things that that's basically everywhere in the yeah, supply chain. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. And what are they called? Do you remember? Uh, Tony Chocoloni. I, I think awesome. uh, Whole Foods has it. I have to look that up. I think I'll remember it. For your poem, is it more than one person that it's about? Nah, nah. It's just one person, the one, and the it's, one that got away, or maybe didn't get away. No, that one that that <laughs> I should not be around, and one that I should not pursue. One that definitely is not good for me. So that's why. I mean. Why? Just like these are some these are some of the foods that you know like in excess will be horrible, and some I just I actually don't I actually don't like marshmallows. I think they're too sweet. They're too sweet for my taste. That's why I was talk talking about how the sugar high uh, in the second stanza that yep. it's just like. And sugar is linked to Alzheimer's as well. So all sort of health issues that our diet could impact. So, um, yeah. There's yeah. so much good natural sugar, though, fruits and stuff. So I wouldn't want to put all sugar in one thing. Yeah, and yeah. I, even the sugar replacements are not good. They're just chemicals. Yeah. Worse chemicals. So, I mean, I... 
I personally would rather have natural sugar, but not just not like, not like marshmallows because it's a to no, no, me no. it's like a concentration of sugar. It's just like too much. Marshmallows look so good. Cotton candy looks so good. Then I go to eat it, and it's kind of eh. Uh, yeah. S'mores are great, but marshmallows, cotton candy, they just, they look so much better than uh, they taste. And that's sort of I what like just, I'm getting I at. I experienced marshmallows all that much as a kid, or cotton candy. Um, like, I know what it looks like, but it's just not in my peripheral. But I but I understand what they are. Like, I, like but I think of marshmallows and I think of, like, Oreo cookies. I'm probably <laughs> having trouble there. Um, but yeah, no, no. Uh, I feel like the person deserves less chocolate bars and more like barbed wire fences or something. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel bad that chocolate and prime ribs, things that you do enjoy, like are part of a poem that's about stuff you don't ever want to have. <laughs> I'm trying to be on the side of the good food. Um, <laughs> Thank you. When did you write this? Like, when did it? Um, when did it come through to the page? A few months ago. It was in the. Oh, so it's pretty new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely during the pandemic. That's why the prime rib, because, um, you know, I, again, it's more about having too much and also eating things that looks good, but when you actually have contact with it, that they're not really good for you. And that's the symbolism for the comparison for the person. Um, yeah, and I love that last line in the second graph of hiding steep costs behind the glitzy pitch. I'm like, you know, that's just life in capitalist America. But like, <laughs> I really, I see my own person <laughs> with that line. Like, oh yeah, that's that's that one person that I'll never, yeah, that I have to never think about, but kind of do anyway all the time. Like, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like all, all these uh, all these commercials for the high, uh, fast food chains, right? They all look so good. They try to entice you. They give you offers. And then you're like, this is the worst thing. It's so full of sugar, so full of salt, um, so full of uh, things that are not necessarily good. Like you can make your own pizza and it could be very healthy. And so I think it's... It's the false advertisement of it. I definitely understand the the relationship, how, especially as female-identifying people, how the policing of our bodies is very much associated with food intake and yeah. uh, the health industry. And, like, the moralizing of, of food, too, like, the good and the bad, right? Like, right. and how that pervades our discussions about it and, like, our relationship to it and women identifying people having to sort of be part of that good pedestal you know like not allowed to be bad kind of thing the moralizing of of, of food is good and bad is is i would say more detrimental than the actual eating of said bad food like i just think the stress we cause ourselves by limiting so i mean yeah capitalism sucks balls (laughs) and it's just like to have all that stuff in your face is, is not okay um but I would say a lot of times it's it's a lot worse for the bodies that purge and the bodies that don't consume and the bodies that like internalize and then uh, you know turn it into a mental health issue mm-hmm. um, in some way, shape, or form that is even more disturbing. And um, yeah, I I just refuse to consider that 
my drive through at McDonald's is the worst thing that I could ever do to myself because it's not. And I, I know that's not what you said at all, but it's also like I need young people in particular to be like, yo, if that's what you had for that day, fine. But if you can try to find other foods and maybe connect with them somehow, you know, and if that's something you can do culturally, like more power to you, um, you know, but also do the best you can with what you have. And yeah, like yeah. that's that, that's if I can say anything to, to kids, that's it's that because, um, man, I spent a lot of my life worrying about what other people thought I should put in my body. And um, that that was definitely not okay. And I never want that for anybody. So, yeah. you know, nobody ever really, I don't, I don't think uh, my body size impacts anyone else. Um, even on those uh, dreaded Southwest flights when I'm in the middle seat, uh, <laughs> people live just fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just uh, never, never want it to be uh, a food as a, as a bad thing because it's what, keeps us alive even if it's not the best thing uh, that we put in our yeah. mouth so trust yeah. me food isn't the worst thing i've had in my mouth so yeah 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 <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there there can be bad food there could be bad tacos there could be bad hot dogs yeah but i'm trying to get to the point where we don't say bad food right like <laughs> maybe food that uh that could have been different um but it's not I don't know. I just, I just really dislike the idea of moralizing food in general. Mm, so. mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's, it's also depending on who's preparing the hot dog and who's preparing the tacos. Yeah. Oh, for sure, right? And I think that's something, um, you know, and that, 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 that I think can take us to a conversation where you know when you reconnect your relationship with the food, becomes something totally different, right? Like. You know, I think back of, uh, you know, stuff my grandma or aunties would make and, like, the love that goes into that food, you can taste it, right? Mm. Like, that's something you will never get from a fast food restaurant. Mm. doesn't mean that fast food restaurant is bad. It just means, like, you're getting something much more than just something to fill your stomach. You're filling your heart and soul and whatever else needs some fill in there. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and when, when you can get that relationship – um, you know, I, I think my relationship with food has drastically shifted. And again, it comes back to like the caregiving model. I find myself trying to fill these days with the, not just motherhood, but just like community building in general. Like I really try to be intentional with what we purchase at the grocery store, what we cultivate in the ground so that I can make it, you know, with intention, with, with purpose, with, with love, if you will, like. I don't want to sit there and be like, God, I hate the people I'm feeding, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm really hoping for the best. Well, you know, when I when I make this stuff, I'm not I'm not trying to make food that tastes terrible. I'm trying to make food that I can have a conversation around. I'm trying to make food that uh, respects people's time and taste buds and also you know allergies or whatever abilities uh, interest they might have there. And it's like, yeah, I, I think that really showcases itself with food and with the uh, you know the people that care about our feeding. And it's an association between food and and or meal preparation and family time and those memories is what, depending on how traumatic or how good the memories are, also how people's relationship with certain foods are developed as well. Yes. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes family table memories can maybe are triggering, and that's okay too, right? Like, again, just. I think heal that relationship with your with food can just be um, just 
really change the outlook. And, and again, I've done a lot of therapy around food in general mm. and just how it intersects with other areas of my life. But that's a lot of work and that's a heck of a lot of money that went into that, those processes. But there's no one way to do um, that relationship building and that, you know, the repair work that needs to be done with, with folks in food. Folks are always asking, like, well, how do you reclaim, you know, indigenous food waste? And it's like, it, it starts small, like... <laughs> what grows naturally in your area, right? So, like, you know, in Phoenix here, folks are always about, like, fruit trees. And I'm like, that doesn't grow naturally. <laughs> like, peaches and oranges, like, come on. Like, that's not in our desert food here. Like, it doesn't rain enough to have citrus. You know, so we're doing some, like, creosote and greasewood, and, um, which has more medicine, more medicinal properties than food properties. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, use it for spices and stuff. And then, um, you know, I'm trying to get, like, prickly pears because we can do prickly pear steaks and like harvesting soya buds things like that things that don't need a lot of water essentially right. Um, right. and trying to be purposeful around that but then also making space to go home to our you know to minnesota and south dakota and really you know re- reconnect with things like maple syrup harvesting or wild rice harvesting right. soap cherries tipsilla you know but those are very seasonal and like man spend a lot of money trying to travel up to those spaces and it's a commitment not a lot of folks have the privilege of making and I'm really glad I do yeah. but it's the small piece is where I feel probably most connected it's the creosote bush out back that's flourishing in the drought <laughs> you know like creosote was made for the long game and I just really love that because first of all it doesn't need much from me except for you know a little bit of tending around and I like singing Broadway tunes to my plants because I feel like that does something for them. I don't know if it does, but I don't know how to speak uh, Otham or Pequash, so I can, I sing Hamilton sometimes. Anyway, um, but, uh, you know, that that's when I can harvest, uh, you know, creosote and um, make some nice oils with that. Uh, mm-hmm. That makes me feel connected. And it didn't cost me much more than getting the, the tool that can, What's it called? It's like a pickaxe, I guess, because okay. the dirt in my backyard is just ridiculously hard. Like, I'm from an area of the country where you just, like, jump on a shovel and it, like, goes down three feet. Like, I tried doing that and I freaking broke the shovel. Oh, wow. oh, like, I was just, like, not prepared for that. I was like, <laughs> oh, like, oh, glad it was just a shovel that got hurt. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was, like, a rock going into oh, wow. that. And it wasn't rock. It was, like, dirt that was just so hard and compacted. Wow. Anyway... Do what you can, the best you can with what you have, and then work from there. That looks yeah. different for everybody. Yeah, that, that's the thing, is that we have to work with the climate and work with the environment that we are in. And, and that's why, you know, I, I think for those indigenous peoples who are still in that tradition, that's something that the other people around in the U.S. can really learn from. It's not... It benefits everyone. Yeah. Yeah, sure. it really does. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today about your poem, about my poem, and and this issue of food and how we, our relations to food uh, as well, and how we relate it to the people in our lives or people we don't want in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I have, I have friends that are not 
poet lovers, poetry lovers, and they'll just be like, you know, it's just a bunch of metaphors. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, things are like other things, but when you can see or experience something in a way that you hadn't before, right? A chocolate bar as somebody who you shouldn't have sex with or be around, right? Like, <laughs> oh, well, now that chocolate bar might mean something totally different to me, or it might tell you something about that person that yeah. you wouldn't have known before, right? You still kind of like that person because the chocolate you'll never out of your life you know yeah and I just um I think there's some magic that can happen uh when folks let poetry sort of um take the wheel if you will because it goes the roads are so different for everybody yeah it's true it's true and you never know where just from a conversation about poem where we're gonna go right so it's it's nice it's a nice journey a mental journey that we get on so before I let you go I would love for you to tell us if you have any recommendations in terms of open mics, favorite open mics, and how people can follow you. So Equality Arizona has a great monthly queer poetry salon, mm-hmm. and that's in collaboration with ASU's Piper Center, I believe. I, I would say that's a phenomenal space to experience all kinds of different poetry. Like, I was able to read with Tommy Pico <laughs> as part of Queer Poetry Salon back in December. Nice. Jake Keats, I think, was part of that. Um, a lot of other just amazing poets that I'm just like, oh. Um, uh, Palabras Bookstore has something. I, I think they started up again yeah. uh, with their virtual series. Um, that first poem that I read, the first poetry event I went to that with um, Jack and Russell, that was at Palabras, their old site. Oh, okay. um, what else? Um, I love, um, button poetry. It's one of my, like, it's, it's based out of Minnesota, but they, they do amazing, like, slam poetry, mm. uplifting work, and I, Rudy Francisco is one of my absolutely favorite slam poets, and just, I'm really inspired by his work, um, and Andrea Gibson, too, um, mm. a queer poet who, actually, I just took a writing workshop from. But I would definitely recommend those folks, in addition to, um, you know, checking out uh, Abalone Mountain Press. They have uh, a podcast they're doing as well. Amber interviews different uh, storytellers, and Tanea Winder is a Paiute, I believe, um, artist out of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And they're on the latest podcast, but, like, Tanea's work is fantastic, and, like, I mean, just enviable uh, uh, work there. And I know... Um, They've done stuff with like Joy Harjo and just poets across the, the, the spectrum, really. But um, they infuse a lot of like musical elements. And so when she performs her work, there's a lot of like kind of old school songs that she likes to put, put in there. And I, I just really love the twist it can take and like the surprise, like, oh, I know that pop song. Um, <laughs> yeah, so those, that'll hopefully help your listeners uh, see who inspires me a little bit. Um, cool. And Thank then you. follow me on uh, Twitter probably my primary place of social media interaction. So I'm at Mrs. T. Walker, Mrs. M-I-S-S-U-S T. Walker. Um, I was, I'm a big British uh, appropriator, so I like Mrs. <laughs> um, Mrs. T. Walker. And then um, I'm on Instagram at Walker Imagining, mm-hmm. and Facebook's kind of a dump, so I don't know. But you can find me on there, too. But um, that's at Jade Tate Walker. But uh, I also have a website, jtatewalker.com, and that's where all my events 
and links to like videos and performances I've done are all housed on there. So oh, cool. if you're gonna go anywhere, go to jtatewalker.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, too. Because we'll have my midnight snack now. Yeah, yeah, you too. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.